Okay, I'm <laughs> okay. I didn't realize we were doing wow. the whole fucking thing. Fucking wow. <laughs> he only did he only did a couple of dun duns. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried. Somewhat. All right. Andrew, take it from here. <laughs> balls you in your court. Yeah, all the balls are in your court, boy. <laughs> okay, well, I don't see how I could ever surpass that. Anyways, so <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Beyond the Silver Screen. I am Andrew. Jesus Christ. Wait, let it, let it sit <laughs> no, for no, a minute. No, this Wait, is, it's like a we, Tarkovsky movie. We are going movie. the Tarkovsky way and the Kubrick way. Yeah, it's no, we're doing Tarkovsky mode. We have to, yeah, give it a couple of minutes the and then we'll in. say the next thing. I'm Einish. I'm Alex. I am Oleg. And I will Perfect. be editing this in post. So. <laughs> <laughs> the hell you will, bitch. It's me editing. <laughs> That's what you think. So, no, it's definitely still you. You do a great job. Um, so here debatable. we are. Yeah. Jesus, guys. I do a hack job, but it looks good because it's better than nothing. <laughs> and you know it. <laughs> Amen, Reverend. Okay, so on this week for Beyond the Silver Screen, we will be discussing... Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, and Andrei Tarkovsky's response, known as Solaris, which is based off a novel, but is also very obviously a response to what Tarkovsky believed to be a very lifeless and humanless film. So, here we go. We'll get into it. We'll talk a little bit about 2001 first, and then we'll talk a bit about Solaris, and we'll do some comparison between the two and see which one we think stacks up better. I think there's a good amount of division between us today on this, so you should hear some arguing. Oh boy, there will be. There will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very excited. Okay, so shall we just give a plot rundown of 2001? (laughs) That's that's not an easy job, buddy. I mean, yeah. I I can try. You should do it. I can try. Because he clearly likes it the most out of all of us. Yeah, I've seen the movie four times in theaters, and I've also just Wait. watched in general probably a dozen I, times. I think we should. So. I think we should do a plot rundown by somebody who is ambivalent towards it, and then, and then have it be like, okay, you remember half the movie. <laughs> that, that's true, but also like I feel like two thousand one's the kind of movie that you have to see more than once before yeah, you understand so, um, what the heck the basic the plot movie is opens anyways. with like monkeys, fucking yeah. monkeys and shit for about like forty five minutes. <laughs> And that I don't remember. It's only anything. like twenty five minutes. <laughs> no, I'm no. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say yeah. No, I, I actually just watched it this morning. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was probably I think my third watch through, and the the second one that I was awake for. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> nice. I saw it for the first time yesterday or two days the- ago. The first time I watched it, I was in elementary <laughs> school, and it was that's I- a terrible idea. <laughs> I got to the point where they threw the bone in the air and passed out. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's just music and spinning shit. I'm not doing I can't do this. In fairness, um, I was 12 yeah. the first time I watched it, and I absolutely fell in love with it. So there, it, it can okay. happen. I feel it's like just that's very how you can likely. distinguish a film student. 
Yeah. 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 Um, Us pretentious so the, types, you know how we are. The yeah. the yeah. film the film starts with literally five minutes of a black screen with music playing. And I timed it. I looked. Five minutes before we get the opening crawl. Is that intentional credits. or was that just like what th- thing that like, you know, sometimes old movies Oh, no, no, that, that like, is intentional. No, it's, it, it was an yeah, overture and an entract. So that Because like Dr. Zhivago does yeah. something just like that. And I'm Dr. Zhivago like, okay. like, does it, Lawrence of Arabia does it, Ben-Hur yeah. does it. Um, I'm say just like the interlude I think, is intentional. does it as well. It's just a very, it was a very common thing. It was meant to make films seem more like theater and more like grand theatrical production. So they added an overture and an intermission and an entract. I yeah, think they did yeah, in, like, Suicide Squad, yeah. too. There, it's all well, the let's not speak form, about good movies. Today Anyhow. we're talking about 2001 <laughs> <Yeah>. and Solaris. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're going to... Oh, you're going to catch some hate for that. Um, but, yeah, so it starts with five minutes. But okay. You're yeah, still five, catching hate. Five minutes of music. I mean, I'm always Anyhow. catching hate. That's what I do on this uh, So then we, we, go to the, we go to monkeys messing around, uh, getting attacked by cheetahs and shit. And then one monkey... Uh, one group of monkeys discovers the obelisk, which is a, a kind of rectangle thing, um, and they touch it, and and now the the monkeys learn that they can pick up bones and hit shit with it, and that makes a pretty good weapon. So then they go and beat the shit out of some other monkeys and throw the bone in the air, and then it's a space station. Uh, and that you can check me on that; it's literally a space station. Um, <clears throat> So then we get some politics shit where a guy's on a space station trying to hide stuff from a bunch of dirty Russians. Um, As they should. A bunch of dirty Ruskies. Uh, <laughs> you, leave, you leave half our audience yeah. alone. Half, More like, like 70 to 75 percent. Yeah. Oh, well, no, the other half are self-loathing Russians. <laughs> um, um, yeah, the... Uh, so a guy trying to hide stuff from Russians and that he, that they've discovered another obelisk or that a obelisk since humans didn't know it, only the monkeys did, uh, but an obelisk on the moon. And then they go there, they touch it. Um, and a big shriek of sound plays. And then we cut to another spaceship. Ooh, that was just all like watching the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Shrieking in the background. Ah, <laughs> Yeah, um, and then we get to a, a, another spaceship where there's two crewmen on board, a robot named HAL 9000, and uh, three uh, crewmates held in hyper st- or hi- hibernation, uh, cryosleep. Um, HAL 9000 is reportedly a robot that has no mechanical failures, has never made a mistake in its life, and seems to have... Uh, it almost an emotion and takes pride in his work. They say, uh, part way into their journey into this, into space, uh, HAL 9000 makes a mistake in reporting, uh, a possible equipment malfunction and a long summary. Well, it's a long fucking movie. It's three hours. It's only like three, three hours. It is. HAL makes a mistake. HAL makes a mistake. The two crewmen talk about unplugging him. Uh, Hal discovers them plotting to like essentially cut off his higher functioning and kills one of them, tries to kill the other, kills all the sleeping crewmen. The one that he tried and failed to kill comes back in. That's uh, Dan or Dave. Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. Um, And Dave comes in, unplugs Hal, 
and then goes into creepy baby sleep dream. That's it. Well, you forgot about the 25 minutes of just flashing colors. and. No, that's a creepy baby sleep dream. Right before that. Big old baby. It's right before the creepy baby sleep dream. Also, like, <laughs> I looked up, like, the budget of the movie and, like, the box office, and I... It has to have just been, like, since it came out in the 60s, most of the box office had to have come from, like, just hippies that got high and then, like, went to the movies, right? Oh, it was. Nothing they changed. Specific, they specifically changed the uh, marketing for the film at the end of 1968 to specifically target um, psychedelic imagery so that it would attract people to get high and see it in the theater high. Yeah, like I was the, like, there's the no other way this movie would have made like to a mainstream audience over 150 million dollars. It was the highest yeah, grossing it, it, film to come out in the year 1968. Wasn't wasn't the the first poster was like just a kind of spaceship in space? Yeah, and then the second poster that's like more hippie is like fucking the the scene with the where everything's red and you've got a bunch of reflections on his helmet, right? Yeah, and then they had the uh, the eyeball with the various colors, and it said the ultimate trip at the top. So it was not very yeah, yeah. very, very <laughs> hidden with their marketing agenda. So yeah, who wants to start? I can. So uh, I mean, I'll I'll take that as a go ahead. Yeah. Yes, go. Please. Absolutely. All right, not. Andrew, why don't you go? No, I want Oleg to go. Um, I have a rough time with 2001 i don't dislike this movie necessarily but it's definitely hard for me to watch and i know it's hard for a lot of other people to watch to sum up my feelings about it in short i guess um there are a lot of creative decisions that were made by stanley kubrick in which he succeeded completely and that is the reason i hate this movie so much because i just don't think that they were sustainable decisions for a film That that's right. that's it. Uh, <clears throat> I'll I'll go deeper into that later. Yep. All right, I, I guess I can give my 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 two cents. Right. Uh, I think I think it's a great movie. I think it's definitely one that uh, you have to will yourself into into sit, sitting through because uh, it, it's definitely an endeavor. It's not like some of Kubrick's other stuff where you're like, I am enthralled from the moment I sit down. Like Clockwork Orange. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. When you sit down and watch Clockwork Orange, you're like, I like this. I'm I'm watching yeah, this. Yeah, or The Shining Baby. It's Ooh. not like... Yeah, you, you don't have to go... <sighs> or Doctor Strange. Okay. That's the one for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, okay, so that's the other thing. This movie gave me so many Doctor Strange love vibes, at least in the, the first uh, section of it. Uh, and I loved it, because I love Doctor Strange love. Um, so yeah, I, I really like this movie. I think there is certainly an issue of, or I'm not sure if it's even an issue, but it it's an issue to the casual film going audience, of pacing, uh, and I think the ending, uh, I I realized that it was his intent to leave it unclear what the ending is, but it should fucking be clear. Well, honestly, <laughs> if you read the book and learn what it means, it becomes even more unclear. No, At the well, very least, it becomes unclear I, I don't, what drugs were taken in the process of I, I don't, creation. I don't know if you're aware of this, Oleg, but Kubrick does not like to stick to the book. Oh, I'm very aware of that. I don't think he's, he specifically he's ever adapted his ending, a book. Even mean, though like, it is the same thing never, as in the book, it doesn't have to be interpreted in the same way that the book yeah. like goes. He, he's never 
I don't think he's done a single adaptation where it actually sticks to the book. No, he doesn't. Uh, I haven't seen Lolita Did yet. Did Kubrick make uh, the Percy no, Jackson Lolita's movie? No, Lolita's very different. <laughs> okay. Very different. Lolita, she's actually 20. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she is no longer 12 or whatever she was in the book. She is like 16. Well, I was going to say that might be more for legal reasons. I, I will refrain from any, making any jokes here. I guess I'll, I'll dive into my thoughts <laughs> at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. We're doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> Alex got distracted. I, personally, I really love this movie. I didn't really find a problem with the pacing where the best way I describe it is it is slow. Like it's really slow. But it's never boring, which is kind of a hot take. I, I yeah, don't but agree with that, boy. <laughs> I, uh, once yeah. you get an hour in, I'll, I'll agree with that. After the hour mark, then it's true. But I actually really like the opening too, and by the end, it kind of like wraps up in a way where it's like, oh, okay, I see, kinda. But yeah, the pacing's slow. But I think I found the movie like kind of hypnotizing. I guess that's the best way to put it. Is like. It was like, I was like in a trance-like state, basically the whole movie, where I'm like, I'm just kind of watching this. All right, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stargate that sequence? that may have also been okay. the LSD. That may have been that, yeah. You know, you never know. But <laughs> I watched this movie completely sober, and I was hypnotized the whole way. The only time I kind of felt it straining was like right after the Stargate sequence, where the ending, I'm like, okay, yeah, now I'm, I'm what? Kind of a thing. I don't think this movie is as good as like Alien or Blade Runner, which are like two other sci-fi kind of heady sci-fi movies. But it's it's high on my list of sci-fi movies, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. In all fairness, I don't think it's it's fair to compare 2001 to either Alien or Blade Runner because they're so yeah. Like different. I'm not I'm not I'm not comparing them story wise. I just kind of meant like in terms of other sci-fi movies that are held in high regard for you know I mean, the general Solaris. Which, in fairness, is not held in as high of a regard as Stalker, even, by most people. So, Although I do think Solaris is fantastic. So, I'm going to be the outlier in the group for this one, I think. Um, like I said, I saw 2001 when I was like around 12. And when it was over, I just sat in like stunned silence for like half an hour. And I couldn't believe it. And... It is now my favorite film of all time. I adore this movie. It changed my entire outlook on cinema. Um, I do think it is the best science fiction film of all time. Um, Have you seen Valerian? Yes, I saw it twice because you made me see it twice. (laughs) Have you seen seen David Lynch's Dune? Okay, poor David Lynch, dude. Guy turned down (laughs) directing Return of the Jedi to make friggin' Dune, and that movie's garbage. Hey, it's a great movie, we, but oh, a horrible actually, adaptation. Planning. Okay, we well, that, that all just died, so I'm going to just continue where I left off. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. So, yeah, I think that 2001 Space Odyssey is by no means a standard film. It's definitely more of an art film than a standard blockbuster, which makes it very unique. I don't think anyone can make a movie like 2001 again because it requires a massive blockbuster budget for a film that is very artistic, very open-ended, and very much not a crowd-pleaser in almost any fashion. Um, The visual effects are unmatched in cinema history, in my opinion. Uh, I will admit that the, uh, the pacing is very, very slow. The dialogue occasionally quite boring. 
the character is not exactly the best developed. So I wouldn't say it's the greatest film ever made, although I will say that it's an amazing achievement for cinema in that it uses visuals and sound and like exclusively that a lot of the time over half the movie is dialogue free so that it really is like one of the epitomes of the art of film in that it doesn't feel like it, even though it is a novel the movie when you're watching it doesn't feel like it could have been a novel it doesn't feel like it could have been a play it doesn't feel like it could have even been a set of paintings it really feels like an actual movie that could only be a movie. And so for that reason, I think it's just one of the pinnacles of cinematic art and cinematic achievement in that way. I don't know if we are actually doing the hot seat thing, but if we are, I guess it's going to be played for me. Yeah, because I think the rest yeah. of us do like it, or in Andrew's case, love it. So. Alrighty. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready to take the beating. So that that means that Oleg is in the dun dun dun, dun hot seat. We got we got to play something. This sounds horrible. <laughs> no, dude, that's that's the dun dun dun, dun hot seat. Uh, that's the, yeah, we just gotta loop that. We will put it into audition and just crank up all the bass levels in the equalizer and then just loop it sixty uh, times. I, I really dig the uh, Alex's like fake shell con hot seat. <laughs> No, I was gonna say yeah. Should I do? Uh, should I do my Ed Boon? <laughs> Finish him. Hot seat. <laughs> that is a horrible uh, Ed I... Boon impression. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're gonna stick with it. Just, I, folks, Glory. I would like to inform our general audience that I just received AIDS via Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Probably from me, actually. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Take me to dinner first next time. It's a little too late for that, don't you think? It, it's like uh, what, what's the what's that South Park episode where it's Cartman keeps going around going, my mom is fucking me, <laughs> because she she's not giving him what he wants. So he's like, what do you what do you gotta fuck me, mom? And everybody in public is going, oh my god. <laughs> All right. Uh... Fucking is a great subject. It's a great episode. What, how, anyway. how are we going to start this off? Uh, what don't you like about it, Oleg? All right, so... So that we can tear you I, I guess that's fair. All right, so I will... We have just touched the I obelisk. I will voice my opinion from the hot seat. And it is that at the end of the day, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a great film, which I personally don't like. And I think it's absolutely fair to say that the cinematography and especially the special effects in this film are groundbreaking and one of the best in the industry up to date. And I think it deserves a lot of credit for that. However, I personally have issue with the fact that many people, and I'm sorry, Andrew, for saying this, hold this movie in a regard that makes it similar to like the Holy Bible. <laughs> And I think it is, like, despite it being a very good film, I still think it is majorly overrated. Um, now I will try to explain why. And I guess the reason for me is that um, film is a very special form of art. When you go to, like, a ballet or you watch an opera, you expect to get a very historical experience. It's like going to the museum. You may very well enjoy the show, but you're also like transporting yourself to the time when this was 
the prime like method of entertainment when people actually did the, like when it wasn't out of date when it was very topical and i am not saying that any opera or ballet or um like theater play that is created nowadays is not topical i'm saying that it always carries like an aspect of history to it with films however i feel like it is a much more consumer art in the modern world and films should not only be judged on their content, their effects, and even artistic expression, but also a movie should also be judged upon how well it can communicate something to the audience and how well it can keep an audience entertained and like on the edge of its seat. And if you truly love this movie and if you truly are on the edge of your seat for the whole thing and you're not bored and you think the pacing and the editing is always effective, I, I have no issues with that. You just have a different opinion from me. I personally do not think that, and I know a lot of people who didn't feel that way. I am very often bored shitless by this film, even though I appreciate a lot of stuff about it. And I think that most of the creative choices, as I said in my intro statement, are just counterproductive to making a good film if you try to make a good film from the mindset that I just described. Stanley Kubrick wanted to make a movie that kind of resembles the emptiness and the loneliness and just how nothing space is. And he did just that. And I mean, he succeeded. Do I think that makes for a good movie? To be honest, not really. Stanley Kubrick wanted to explore the possibility of a computer who becomes more human than his creators. Does he succeed at that? Yes, he does. However, that just means that the human characters who are present in the film are boring fucking chills, I'm sorry, who have no characterization and have the most ridiculous, bland, boring dialogue. And, like, the film really consists of small creative choices like that, which are very interesting from an auteur perspective, but lackluster for making a product will act that will actually be enjoyed by people. Yep. All right, uh, somebody want to respond to that? <clears throat> I guess um, on the point of the special effects, you said like they were groundbreaking for the time. I feel like they still have like... I said that though. A lot of... Yeah, like for the time they were great, but I think even for like today, by today's standards, they're still very, very good. Like it almost look, it almost looks like a modern movie aside from like a few shots where... Yeah, there's yeah. one I think shot I where that. the guy's I said, spinning like, off even into space. up to now. But... Oh, I think said up to then. Mm. That, that may have just been me mishearing you. Well, no, I think they were groundbreaking then, and I think they still very much hold up today. I'm sorry if I miscommunicated that. Yeah, it may have also just been me mishearing you. But yeah, I just... Yeah, I guess my point was just I think the special effects still look great today. Aside from a few wonky bits of... I couldn't tell if it was stop motion or if it was CGI, but it's the one where um, when the it's astronauts is like, was it stop motion? Yeah, yeah. They didn't yeah. have CGI back then. Yeah, they used no computers whatsoever for this film. Well, they used one. Oh yeah, they used HAL, but that was about it. Which <laughs> also fun fact: HAL is just IBM, but moved everything one letter because they couldn't get the rights to IBM. <laughs> oh, that's actually really funny. Yeah. I I personally like the story behind how they chose like the the voice actor for it because 
what what were they originally going with before? Like, was it a, a woman speaking? Like someone with the British? Oh, Rose British Oh yes, I think you're right. I think they were going for like a British woman. Yeah, it, and then they just heard uh, whoever the hell they picked for it, uh, just do the voice of like, "I'm sorry, Dave, I can't allow you to do that." And, and the that they said that Kubrick was like so chilled by the voice that he he was like all right fuck it we're going with that we're going with this like completely like lacking in emotion voice yeah is it bad to say that i think hal gives the best performance in the whole movie and no, he's a I, robot. Think I think point. it's correct and yeah. that's also yeah. something that comes back to my critique of the creative choices in the film yeah uh, well i i think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were talking about it oleg which is uh, that the movie achieved exactly what it was trying to do. Uh, it, so, like, it, you know, I, I, I make this distinction a lot when I when I talk about different things that you should and shouldn't do in film, where it, I'll, I'll, like, be saying, like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, go around just breaking the three or the 180 rule all the time. Oh, and so then I have to add on, <laughs> yeah. But I guess sometimes you have to in order to achieve some, like, if you're trying to go for some weird, if, if that's the point, uh, then you have to. Um, and I, I think a lot of this movie, that it, the point of it, uh, as Stephen King so definitely put it when he was talking about uh, uh, the Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining, is this is a film to hurt people. <laughs> um, where the, it's a movie about man's obsession with violence right in that everything all the tools we make are are tools of violence right that mm -hmm. it all starts there um in that like any anything we make even if we have if, even if we believe we have the best intentions right if we believe that we're making a, a, a super intelligent computer so that we can go explore reaches of space we've never before seen, just for the sheer curiosity of it. In reality, it's about we want to go into space and discover far off places so that we can conquer it. And we want to protect uh, the secret of the obelisk from the Russians so that we have this new weapon, just in I case it might be a weapon. I love that through line on the whole weapon thing that you're talking about. Like at first I had no yeah. idea why the ape bit was like in the beginning, aside yeah. from like you got some good ape prosthetics and stuff. But <laughs> then once they see the obelisk and then they get like, you know, they're like, Oh, we can use the bone to fight. And it's like, and then there's that really great cut between the bone spinning to that one yeah, spaceship, spaceship, which I think um they actually later said like that was a uh, weapon. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a satellite like, of what, nuclear what, weapon. Yeah, so Which like, you can't tell from the film. In fairness, so if anyone misses that while watching it, that's not on you. That's on the film. It's a nuclear vessel. It's yeah. It is. It is a bit hard to get, but I think like with the cut, like the way it's done, like the way that like the like the location of the bone on like you know in frame with the weapon, like the space weapon, it's pretty close in alignment. So you're kind of like, okay, weapon, weapon, kind of thing. It is a bit unclear, but. I think through like the cut, it makes yeah. It's sense. a match cut. Yeah, the it's, match cut. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty usual uh, technique, I think. Yeah. But uh, I, I mean, just in general, the the entire movie is kind of it, it, it's centered around that idea that, it, and you ex 
you see this in a lot of Kubrick movies where yeah, I, I think he really has this obsession and a belief uh, that people are inherently biased towards violence and war. And like you, you see it a lot in, in Dr. Strangelove and obviously <laughs> Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. Clockwork yeah. Orange, Shining. Pass of Glory, Full Metal Jacket, Pass The Shining, yeah, Full Barry Metal, Lyndon. Everything he does, yeah. Everything he does, it, it, it centers around that idea that even the noblest intentions, quote unquote, you end up devolving into that almost feral state of violence. And like hell, this perfect computer is still like they say it in the movie. There's a good line where they say, does he have emotions? Cause it seems like he has pride and the guy responds. Well, uh, it's hard to say. I don't think anybody can really answer that. But we programmed him at least to to seem like he does. Uh, so whether he does or not is we can't tell. But even even that machine that we make that's supposed to be perfect and infallible is still made by man. And so the the only issues ever occurred in the Hal Nine Thousand are uh, related to man man made issues is what Hal Hal says. It's human error. Uh, so um, <laughs> that his fall to violence. It is also a result of mankind's inherent bias towards violence. That That is very true. I will still have to double down on my position that despite all of those like deep thoughts and great ideas that were put into the film, they don't necessarily make it great. Yeah, that's fair. You can have mm-hmm. the best uh, theming of a movie... And it can still suck some major dick, uh, <laughs> and I don't think it does. I really don't, don't think it does. It right. Yeah, I think there's like a little dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that, it's a little peck. <laughs> yeah. Just a, a kiss on the head, <laughs> but it goes for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay, maybe it's multiple pecks. <laughs> it's a really um, but, long peck. Did not want to yeah. hear that. But... Slow, methodical peck. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, I, I I think that like it, those things that you say, the the those things that are like you said, he he did what he was trying to do almost perfectly. It, it's just that what he was trying to do, you you don't like, uh, you don't think it makes a a, a particularly good movie. Um, so like those the kind of inhumanity, the isolation of 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 the characters where. Like you were saying, like they, the dialogue is mostly bland and uninteresting, and they're lacking in humanity. And that—that's the point: is that there's not too much separation between the psychotic killer robot and the people on board. Yeah, and that point is communicated brilliantly. But I don't want to make presumptions about anyone's experiences with cinema, but I would personally find it really hard to believe if you told me that upon watching space for like tens and tens of minutes with just classical music in the background, you didn't get ridiculously bored. I, yeah, I would find that hard. I, I literally said I fell asleep. Yeah, so like that's, that's kind of my point. I feel <laughs> First like, time I watched I feel like as yep. an experiment, it's it's amazing, but as a movie, it like if, if that is not a failure, I don't know what that is. Well, I, I'd like I, to kind of defend, I guess, the endless minutes of just space with classical music. Like I guess this may just be like my personal taste, but uh, I feel like way, visually. You, you, what? Sorry, what? 
you, you kind of gimp your argument by starting it out with describing it as the endless minutes of space. <laughs> well, no, like I'm saying, like, I totally understand why someone would find it boring. Like, I totally get why someone would find it boring. Like, personally, I don't. But I, it, it is a lot of time where it's just like, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, okay, yeah, what? But the reason I think that it works, however, it is, it's, it's really self-indulgent. But I think it works just because of, like, the editing and just the cinematography overall in accordance with the like sound work it's it's all done so perfectly that like i like i said in the beginning where like i was almost just hypnotized by the movie like all these things are working so well where you're just kind of like staring i was at least i think you kind of just stare in awe at how wow this looks really good and it's all executed flawlessly basically yeah is a lot happening like emotionally no but no and like the slower pace too like i'll admit like i will admit that like it's hard to like i would imagine the average person that watches this movie would find it boring i again i don't um but that's the that's the beautiful thing about art is that no two people experience art the exact same way so if you don't like something that everyone else seems to like that's not against you that's just how art works um, and Andrew, take take your postmodernist bullshit out of here. Hey, it's <laughs> true. Yeah, okay. We don't like your yeah, kind. We either we either have to all like something or all dislike something. If you're not aware yeah. of that, there's yeah, there's only if you have problems with something truth. that means you think it's the worst thing ever. That's true, like, actually. Well, in that case, I would hate every single movie because there's not a movie in existence that I don't have problems with. Um, but well, good. You're cynical now. Perfect. <laughs> Just the way I like it, bro. I've been cynical. How have you missed this? <laughs> <laughs> a new relationship flourishes. Aww. Yeah, this no, is Beyond the Silver Screen brings our... people together. Hey. Literally brings people together. Alex uncovered yeah. such depths within himself <laughs> that he never knew existed. Moving on. So and let me the... say deep. So the, the um, visual effects yeah. in the movie are quite... I'm not even going to let you talk, Alex. The visual effects <laughs> in this movie are very slow, and I will admit that. Uh, but it Lord also allows you enough. a lot of time to take in just how much effort was put in. Um, I had seen this movie several times, and it wasn't until I saw it on a 60-foot screen that I noticed that there are individual people walking in the windows of the airplane the first time you see it. And I went again to see it on a TV, and I literally had to sit like with my face right up against the TV to notice they were there. The amount of detail that's put into these visual effects is just absolutely insane. The film was originally shot to be presented on 70mm in Cinerama, which is about 35 feet tall and about 90 feet wide of a screen. So it makes sense that they put in this much effort for it. Um, but the slower pace... It fixes a problem that a lot of visual effects have, which is they happen so quickly that you can't notice their flaws. And these were so flawless that they were willing to give you the time to look at them. Yeah, I saw I, this I, phone I, on my iPod, and I gotta say, like, it still looks kind of great, great on that. You're a bastard. So. <laughs> um, Watched on my iPod Mini where it cut off half the screen and still loved yeah, it. I'll, yeah, I'll I cropped quote, it so like it's just David you see, like, the center of it, and that's it. Uh, I'll quote David Lynch on this one, which is. Film is not made to be seen on a tiny screen. Yeah. It's not for the go. <laughs> what are what you going to do? do? Watch a movie on your fucking phone. <laughs> phone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll defend I'll defend the uh, 
uh, as Einish puts it, endless minutes of space, uh, <laughs> masturbation, uh, the, the very masturbatory uh, sequences. Uh, I'll defend it too, uh, but I'll put it this way. Um, I think that it, it captures that very uh, Doctor Strange love essence, which is um, it, it, it's the beauty of war, right? Uh, so a lot of Doctor Strange love is about it, it, drawing that really strange kind of irony out of things, uh, where it, it's such a horrible thing, but at the same time it, it, it's strangely beautiful. And so these, uh, like they have the the opening sequence, I think is basically like I, I think they're drawing allusions to like the airplanes having sex when they're refueling each other so that one can go and bomb a country. Yep. <laughs> um, but it, here it, it's the choice of music. And really, I think that Stanley Kubrick is a master of, of choosing music for scenes for drawing out these very specifically strange emotions. Um, which is like it, here it's that it, during the space sequences, it's always this, a, a ballet really more than anything else it, it's watching these things these carefully constructed like sequences of it uh spinning and uh what what really it hit me with the ballet scene or the ballet uh kind of feeling of it uh when in that opening section where he's in this spaceship uh and he, like his pen is floating away and it's just kind of slowly spiraling out and you see the uh, airplane waitress uh, or hostess, I forget what they're called, um, like very carefully stepping and like the, the steps are, are made to look like uh, the ballet uh, walking with the kind of inward pointed toes. Uh, but it, it's all very delicate and all very refined. And, and with the music going in the background, that's... Uh, what what uh is the actual uh like kind of ballet sounding thing? It's, it's not the Blue new waltz by Johann Strauss II. I I thought it was a waltz. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it, it's yeah. Okay, that's yeah. my third favorite song of all time. So please leave it alone. <laughs> that's no, I, I wasn't I wasn't shitting on it. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, it, it's all it's all about the waltz and how how beautiful these weapons of destruction are to us. And so I'll defend those uh, those sequences, even though I I do think they're perhaps a, a little bit uh, overindulgent. Uh, you know, it, it it's got a little bit too much of that jazz feel, where it's like, eh, I'll I'll just sit here and, and wank and show you how good I am for the next hour and a half. <laughs> I will slightly butt in here because I I admit that those sequences of endless space and sometimes those even boring dialogues and the monkey sequences in the film are all very delicate and creative. But at the same time, what purpose do they really serve that makes them have to be like 45, like 25 minutes long? <laughs> because really like space, yeah. space is delicate. Okay, we get it. And I, I truly un understand that Stanley Kubrick wanted a movie where you feel how lonely and slow space is I would have got that feeling from like maximum like seven minutes of space with music. That would have been more than enough to convey that. Same with the monkeys. That yeah. same like 
chain of events could have been communicated within like at most like 10 minutes and nothing would really be lost and it would just be like yeah. overall a better experience for the general viewer in my opinion yeah i i certainly won't fight you on that <laughs> they're way too long uh but I, I i do think yeah that the scenes do have to be there for sure yeah, there's no, there's no scene in this movie that you could point. really cut out. And, like, I, I, agree, I agree that the scenes You could make are, them shorter, though, for sure. Yeah, I agree the scenes are quite <laughs> long, <laughs> but I will admit that the pacing is very, very consistent throughout as well. Yeah, it's just so hella like, slow for the whole film. Yeah, it's just very, yeah, it's just very, very slow. Um, but also, one thing I'd like to note for those endless drifting scenes is that it's not just in space. It's constantly intercutting between this glorious beautiful space and people doing very boring average things and it kind of shows how humanity even if it's amazing beautiful achievement still is living very banal lives and doesn't really seem all that interested in anything that's going on around them and ultimately this this whole film is a movie about human evolution and humanity as a whole and its track through time. And it kind of shows how quickly humanity just gets bored with itself. And like all of its achievements are ultimately just undermined by humanity's insistence to just make everything so normalized that it forgets all the great things it does. Okay, I will say, um, yeah, sorry, sorry, for, uh, sorry for the fact that I keep jumping at everybody from the hot seat. But no, keep no, keep no. going. That's your that's your <laughs> that is that's my job. Here. It's the hot yeah. seat. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, your job. You've been doing great. <laughs> the ha -ha hot seat. <laughs> yeah. So my thing is that I I will actually admit the part about it cutting back to like humans doing mundane shit and how it represents the contrast between space and dull human lives. I totally missed that, and thank you for showing that to me. But like. I don't think I missed that because it wasn't emphasized enough. I feel like I'm just that member of the audience who will eventually, like, not get something from your movie. And, like, at the end of the day, there I, I do not see a reason as to why these cuts and these points needed to be emphasized over the course of, like, three hours. Because you really could have communicated that in a much smaller amount of time and still have it feel long and drawn out and slow well i i think i think too part of it and part of what i think makes this movie better than uh solaris uh, though we'll get to that we'll get to it um uh, 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 is that it's american no uh, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> um, that i didn't have to but, read the fucking subtitles <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to squint. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, um, like no. for for for, uh, for our audience, real quick, if you have to watch Solaris, mm -hmm. if you want to watch Solaris, do not watch the fucking dub. That will I I will save your life. Wait, is there a dub? There is a dub. Do not do it. Don't, just oh, watch it with just in Christ, I, Don't do. Thank it. God. I I thought you said don't watch the sub, and I'm like, I I could only find the sub. No, <laughs> I accidentally like, stumbled. Where's the dub? Oh, like totally. I accidentally stumbled upon the dub on the internet. I thought it was a sub. And oh my god, I had like the awakening. <laughs> and it was like not a good it's, awakening. It was like 6 a.m. Like Monday watching... morning. You have an exam. Oh my, okay. Like shit. I just looked up the runtime. It's like watching ghost stories. I just looked up the runtime for 2001. It's actually 142 minutes, so it's only like an hour 22. No, no not an hour. Two right. hours 22 minutes. Yeah. 
which yeah, two hours like, twenty eight to be exact. That's like your typical Hollywood blockbuster. So I just looked up you know your typical Hollywood blockbuster. Batman v Superman is one hundred and fifty one minutes. Well, in all fairness, Batman v Superman is a motherfucking <laughs> slog. So that's that checks yeah, out. Uh, yeah, but also, Batman v Superman. I think we should compare more to probably the Snyder paced cut. about three times faster and is infinitely <laughs> more boring. Uh, the th- I just kind of find that interesting. Is that I don't even think the question of how slow and boring a movie feels for me. It's not about the length. It's about how much like pointless shit I have to see in the film. And unfortunately, in my opinion, <laughs> 2001 has a lot of shit that really does not need to be there, even if you want to make okay. it feel slow and drawn out. Here, here, I'll, I'll. So this is the point I was going to make, which is, um, I, I think a lot of it too is that there's this incredible depth to the world. Um, and you, you see this a little bit, too, in the movie Alien, uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, they were talking a little bit about some really uh, mindless, kind of pointless detail in the background, where it's, um, they had one of the, like, set designers uh, draw up a whole visual language for different warnings and stuff. Because they said, well, you know, this is really an international kind of station. Uh, you know, Wayland Utonics is a... Or Utani? U- yeah, Utonics. Yeah. Uh, or Utani, that's right. Uh, Wayland Utani is a uh, is an international company. So these things should be able to be read by everyone internationally. So they're all... They created a graphical language to put up little warnings everywhere that never play into the movie. It just fleshes out the world just a little bit more. Um, it, and Stanley Kubrick has a little bit of an issue where it's as if he's bringing the camera in on a close up on each of those, you know, the sixty four symbols, going, huh? <laughs> I made it, huh? <laughs> I put in the effort. I will have. Oh, um, sorry, I thought you were done. Well, yeah, well, just that I I think the world is so deep and so well developed, and that maybe the issue is that. While it's certainly shown in, like, background, uh, pointless kind of details, too, uh, and I say pointless lovingly, uh, but, it, like, the opposite of a nitpick. It's a, a, a nit, uh, good, I, I, don't, I don't know how to... stab. Yeah, that's awful. Um, a nick band-aid. No. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it, it, th- those really long sequences serve to flesh out uh, how things are moving, how things are functioning, everything's so well and so deeply where, like, they're on spaceships, and it's, like, those little details of, like, uh, a quick cut to showing the uh, air hostess's shoes, and they say, like, you know, grip shoes. Um, it, and then she's, like, you know, walking very carefully and delicately, so you understand, okay, this is, like, there's still limitations here, there's still, like, kind of develop. they've developed stuff to help them get around those kind of details uh in adapt environments to make it their own make it more like earth right more like how you are on an airplane Mm -hmm. on earth um and there's so much of that and they just show all of it and uh they they probably could have worked a little bit more on allowing that to exist in the background uh for sure that could have definitely uh sped things up and made it a quicker paced but I, I think, yeah, a lot of that pacing issue comes from uh, how deep the world is. I will just say that, no, like, you make a very valid point. However, I do not think that this point serves as an excuse. 
Um, I guess it's not really I, I mean, an excuse, but it's more yeah. of like a like explanation. You know, an explanation of why it's this way. Well, yeah, but yeah. if you think back to something like Alien, yeah. the reason Alien as a movie works so well, and I, I think, just to clarify, we all here fucking love the first original Alien film by Ridley Scott, right? I think it's the best Yeah, Michael Fassbender was great in it. <laughs> I Thank mean, you. It's, not, it's not as good as, uh, as Prometheus. Okay, good. By, <laughs> it's up there. Alex is joking, just to clarify, but... Oh my. Not quite as good as Aliens. Uh... But it's close. I actually, close okay, second. I started off being an aliens over alien person. That is wrong. <laughs> I can't say yeah, alien is. Like, game <laughs> over, man. Game over. Aliens and Alien yeah. are both, uh, both belong on the list of greatest films of all time, but Alien is it, just incredible. Okay. Yeah, aliens. No, I've come around to liking Alien David more. Fincher, but yeah. Okay, yeah, so the, point, the point I was trying exist. to make, the point I was trying to make is that we all think Alien is no, great. No, fuck you, I think that establishing the world is a part of that because the movie that is alien it's it's a, it's a horror movie that is very like nitty-gritty very um it's very like true to life and they make you feel like the group on the nostromo are just like a bunch of truckers or a bunch of seafarers who are just doing a mundane boring low pay job that you can see like everywhere in this galaxy and that's how they make you feel that fear because you you see their like they establish how mundane and how ordinary it is through focusing on like the the everyday shit in the background and in the setting however something like 2001 is the opposite of that isn't it's an abstract film with a lot of like high row like sci-fi questions very complicated and very very abstract there is no real need to be focusing on this world building because focusing on the world building is not inherently good. Like, I know no, it's not I, a fair I don't think comparison to the film, but like Batman v Superman is focusing <laughs> on inessential bullshit. The movie, I I'm okay with Solo, but I know you don't like Solo, and Solo is also focusing on world building. The movie, like that's not always well, a no, good that, thing. That that's not. I, I don't think Solo is really uh, world uh, world building. The movie it's. Uh, fucking take every line that Han Solo has ever said and make a movie out of it and just figure Which out some way to cram a bunch world, of shit yes. together. Um, well, it, it's... I'm trying to figure out how to explain it. Um, and this one, I think the world building yeah. kind of like... I think what Alex might be going for is like it actually... like It is important to the story or like to the overall just sort of atmosphere of the movie. Like, Well, it, it's also... It's the point of, of sci-fi in that it's like... It's how you tell a really good sci-fi from a really shit sci-fi. Like the Dune book, part of what makes it so, so fucking good is how thorough and well thought out it is. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the, the thinking behind it goes so deep and so much further than you ever see in the book. And that's what makes it great is because, and what makes, you know, the original Star Wars so much better than, like, the sequel Star Wars is that there is thought and design behind the world uh, that you don't see. That's not just like, we need some, we need stormtrooper bad guys, so why don't we just make some new stormtroopers and call them like the new empire? Uh, or whatever they're called, Fifth Order? Or fourth Right? <laughs> also, um, but, when... uh, yeah, it, I, I will say too, uh, for the uh, length and how, how slow paced it is, um, I think... 
that that is also kind of necessary for the impact of the film. Okay. Which is I know, I know you wanted to say something. But... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was like kind of in accordance to that. I really one thing I appreciate about 2001 a lot is that it's a lot of show don't tell. Like they show the world like what and it's not like just reams and reams of just dialogue where it's like we have track shoes. These shoes yeah. <laughs> help us stick to the ground. This is the food and we have to drink it cuz we're in space. They just like show it. They show the lady with the tray. She puts it down. The person pulls out a straw and starts drinking the food. And then it's like, oh yeah, if you're in space, couldn't you like, you know, just go upside down on the wall and like to the next part of the ship? They just show it. She does it. And you get so much more out of like a two minute scene of her like walking upside down and then through the door to like the camera being upside down and slowly spinning, which is one of my favorite shots in the movie. But you get more out of that where it's like, oh, I see like how they designed the ship. I see how you, well, you know, like go around in the ship. I see how this whole thing kind of operates so much better yeah. than like if anyone had in, in the script had said it. Yeah, e- even more than that, you you get the idea that that they've adapted to to this world, right? Or they're it's adapting not just, to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or they're in the process of, right? So it's like when they have that that spaceship that they say or they're like kind of space plane types set up um that they've realized oh we can cram some more fucking seats on here because you know we don't have to just have a a, a metal cylinder you, you you know you can put stuff on the ceiling shit down on like the sides and stuff you know you can because there is no ground in space and then they've also tried to make it so that it's comfortable for everybody so that they feel like they're still on Earth, you know, simulating false gravity and all of that. Yeah. Um, and also, the uh, like, yeah. in, in addition, 2001 is not really a narrative-driven film in a traditional right. sense. It's very much a <laughs> film driven on experience and on, like, mm-hmm. the sense of living in this world more than anything else and i think that like what they've said really puts it there is that a lot of this stuff is more or less about being immersed in the universe of 2001 more than it is so much about telling you anything it does tell you things um little thing by little thing and at a slow pace that will will probably turn off a lot of people but it's more or less about just being part of the world that 2001 makes and really being immersed in all the effort and everything that went into making it. I, okay, first of all, to, to Andrew, I think that that is an absolutely valid point. I think appreciating the, the effort that was put into this film, appreciating like the effects, the production and all of that is something that is very worthwhile. I personally, I, I don't think I have as much of an appreciation for it as like you do, for example, because I'm not a film student and my knowledge is much like simpler when it comes to cinema uh but yeah i think that's a valid point i also don't think that the point about like the necessity of focusing on the world building is invalid however the thing is i think the difference between a good and bad world building is that world building has to be naturally woven into the story if you think back to something like uh Okay, Star Wars Episode Four, or as we like to call it here, the cinema snobs, Star Wars, uh, is two hours, five minutes long. And uh, there is a lot of world building in that film. 
However, it feels like the film is like an hour 20 long. It just flies by you. Yes, the, the well, pace is different, and that kind of plays into the point that it's not just the world building that is important here. But the thing is, that movie always gives you world building, just like Alien, to when the characters are living in that world. Here, it just takes, like, it always feels like a slideshow or just like a video clip of, me, of like, classical music, where it's just space and they, like, cut to something and it feels very unnatural and it draws the movie out in my opinion well okay so that's this is where i'll, I'll bring in uh the uh director s craig zoller i think he only has like three movies now um but his first movie was bone tomahawk I, I, have you seen it oleg no no okay shit well uh i i won't spoil it then um but essentially for for listeners it's it's a western and at first for the first like i let me check how long the movie actually is uh bone tomahawk runtime sorry um yeah so the bone tomahawk is two hours and 20 minutes long and for the first like i'd say probably like hour and 45 minutes fucking nothing happens like the story is about hey some some people from our little western town uh disappeared so we're gonna go out and find it or find those people and it's just them walking across fucking open plains forever and I almost turned off the movie, and then at that one hour and 45 minute mark, it fucking explodes into insanity and becomes one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, and part of why that was so impactful was because of that fucking, you know, hour and 45 slog of, you know, the guy breaks his leg while he's walking, and now he's got to walk with a splint, so now he's taking even longer to fucking walk because he's so slow okay, and you're just going jesus christ when does this movie end i haven't <laughs> seen the film so it's hard for me to judge but the question to answer right. here is whether or not that first hour of slow storytelling and nothing happening is really necessary to convey the story they wanted to convey because if i want to well, enhance my experience with a film I'll just watch Justice League before it. I don't need the film it's, to insert something that I don't like into uh, it so that I like the good parts more. It, it's like Nicholas Winding Refn films, like uh, Drive, right? You have yes. seen that, yeah? Okay. Well, most of Drive is not a particularly action-y thing. It's not dialogue-heavy. It's a guy kind of standing around looking a little bit sociopathic and kind of watching a, a chick like his neighbor playing with their kid while he's chewing on a toothpick while techno music plays in the background. Uh, and then just at certain moments, it just fucking explodes. And then he, you know, bashes someone's brains in with a hammer or blows their face off with a shotgun. And it, it's because you offset it with these really slow, quiet things that like after two hours of that uneventful, like kind of feeling like you're a slog in space and going like, does this movie have a point? Uh, when shit starts popping off with hell, you go, holy fuck, this is great. Like, you're you're just going, like, you're sitting there on the edge of your seat as, you know, it's doing, it, it, and it's they're shooting it like a, a, a classic horror flick. 
right? When uh, when Hal kills uh, the the second guy, Frank, I think his name is, uh, like they have the the pod slowly turn, and it's like you know the almost like Psycho, where it's you know the, no, that one the scene in particular kind of, is actually great. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then you you just instead of watching what the pod does to kind of shoot him off into space, I, I assume ram into him. Uh, it cuts to hell. Like, just a picture of the Hal kind of, like, camera uh, watching. And then it does, like, the zoom, zoom, you know, kind of jumping uh, zooms into into Hal's face, quote-unquote. And it, it's just, like, a, a classic slasher horror movie kind of cut. It, it, and, like, once it starts doing that kind of stuff and you have this kind of frantic energy uh, entering into stuff, that's when you start, like, suddenly th- those last, like... I th- basically an hour and a half maybe was it um an hour and a half of like very quiet nothing really happening uh it becomes the thing that's lulled you into the same kind of sleep as the characters and suddenly you can experience the reawakening and frantic frantic nature uh that the characters are that makes you know dave forget his uh helmet and stuff in in the space pod if everything's just popping off all the time, well, one, it'd be an hour-long movie because there's not oh, okay. much else I never, I never said that anything, ha- everything has to be popping up like all well, the well, time. Right. No, no, no. That is right, not at all my point. It, 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 no, I, I wasn't saying that, but if everything, if, if it was moving at a pretty quick pace and you know, you're cutting through a bunch of different stuff, um, or maybe if there was more happening, then you'd never, there would never be that lull, that sense of you're falling into the sleep of the world of the characters okay. where they you don't get that comfortable feeling. I think you are misunderstanding my point because the issue with this film is not, is not that it chooses to be slow. There are many slow films that are amazing that try to um, lull you, as you say, into a certain state so that you will be more receptive to the film's later twists or events, actions in that state. There are many movies that I adore that do that. But I think the key difference, or at least for me, between a movie like Drive, or I will, yes, fuck off, but I will give the example of uh, Robert Eggers' movies. Not not The Lighthouse this time, actually, but I think The Witch is more representative of this. Uh-huh. There are movies that are very fucking slow, yet they don't feel boring. And of course, at the end of the day, that's subjective, because the pacing in those movies is masterful. And pacing is essential to any film. And the thing about yeah. uh, 2001, as I said in the beginning, is that it purposefully chooses to be incredibly amateurish in all the creative choices related to pacing. And I can't really bash the like Stanley Kubrick for succeeding at all of those like artsy experiments he wanted to do, because essentially he wanted the pacing to feel amateurish. He wanted it to feel unnatural he wanted the space segments to be overly long he wanted the dialogue to be dull and boring he wanted there to be like a lot of world building and all of that like he wanted to do it he did it that's valid however it does make the pacing feel worse for a general member of the audience and that is why a slow movie like this instantly becomes like oh for me once again for me a horrible slog I feel like that is a great point for us to transition on to Solaris. Uh, should we yeah. take a quick break first? I wouldn't mind. Yeah.
Yeah. Already. Although, right. uh, before Great. we go, Great. I would like to leave one final um, comparable example that I think, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is just a bit longer than 2001 Space Odyssey and more or less has nothing resembling action or a plot, really, until probably the final 20 minutes or so. And it's all just about hanging out in that world with these people and just hanging out in the world of 1968 Hollywood with just like 2001 driving scenes that seem to go on forever set to classic music, in this case, classic rock, not classical. And more or less, it kind of just depends if that's for you or not. But it's hard to deny that like exactly what Oleg said, it's hard to deny that the film isn't successful at being what it wants to be. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I wouldn't say entirely so. But in 2001, like Oleg said, it's a film that is successful in pretty much everything that it wants to do, which is something that I would say probably less than 0.1% of movies can claim to have. And for that reason, if you if you like the film, if you don't like the film... That's entirely up to you, but it is a success. It is a technical masterwork, and I think it certainly deserves a lot of respect for what it is.